There's a song written by the late Fanny Crosby. She was the blind little blind girl. The song is, A Holy is the Lord. The words by Fanny Crosby and the music by William B. Bradford, Bradbury. And I close on this note. Her words were this, Holy, holy is the Lord. Sing, O ye people, gladly adore him. Let the mountains tremble at his word. Let the hills be joyful before him. Mighty in wisdom, boundless in mercy, great is Jehovah, king over all. Praise him, praise him, shout aloud for joy. Watchman of Zion, herald the story. Sin and death his kingdom shall destroy. All the earth shall sing of his glory. Praise him, you angels, he who behold him, robed in his splendor, match, matchless divine. And the last verse is, King eternal, blessed be his name. So may his children gladly adore him. When in heaven we've joined the happy strain, when we cast our bright crowns before him, there in his likeness joyfully waking, there we shall see him, there we shall sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Let the hills be joyful before him. That was written by a young lady that had never seen light, but she had been in God's presence. Pastor, I'm going to turn it back to you. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And this is what I want you to get. And Abraham fell, Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. Don't explain that away. Take it just for what it said. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, the Apostle Paul said, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I found in my research that most of God's prominent men, and they're not all Baptist, speak of having the proper attitude toward God in prayer. If they didn't speak of it directly, they verb, uh, verbal, if they didn't verbalize it directly, it's so evident in their actions. Such man, such man as John Knox, who was the mover of Scotland, John Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, David Brainerd, and McShane, the great preacher of the past, and McShane said this. He said, a great part of my time is spent in getting my heart in tune for prayer. I want to define for you tonight adoration. Adoration is the act of rendering divine honor and reverence and esteem and love. Literally, it means applying the hand to the mouth or to kiss the hand. It shows a great respect, a great esteem, a great love, a great honor. And even today in the Eastern countries, a kiss of the hand means respect and submission, does it not? You see, adoring our God is a must attitude in prayer. 
Therefore, it's so often impressed upon us in God's Word. And if there's a key message to this whole series, this is it. You see, man is basically selfish. That's all of us. And adoration and selfish, selfishness cannot coexist. Selfishness is evidenced in man's worship today, as always has been, but even more today, by setting aside the Bible and to worship as he desires. He leaves the blood songs out because the blood does away with his self-efforts to save himself. He incorporates religious lyrics with the world's beats and style of music. You see, folks, a lot of independent Baptist churches are guilty of this very thing that I'm talking about. This simply honors the flesh and it satisfies the flesh and not God. Selfishness is so is obvious is is obvious and man prays. Even in James' day, James wrote in James four three. He said, "You ask, you, you, you ask, and you receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss, that you may receive it yourself, or benefit yourself." That's a paraphrase. You see, man thanks God for material blessings received, and he asks for more. There's none of us us here tonight that are poor. And yet we ask for more. When I need a new car, I look at my tires. It's easier to buy a new car than to buy new tires. (laughs) You see, we are constantly asking for more. Food, clothing, health, safety, and comfort make up Almost 90% of all of our prayers. You may say, be here, well, Brother John, you don't know what I pray for. I don't. But humanly speaking, I can speak that way. Food, clothing, health, safety, comfort make up probably 90% of what we talk to the Lord about. If you would go to Genesis 28, 20 and the story about Jacob and at Bethel. I reread that this morning, this afternoon, and I, I noticed again his worship was correlated with food to eat and raiment to put on. What he asked God for. You see, self precedes and predominates in false religions. We don't expect anything different, but it's so often seen and heard in the prayers of saved people. As one writer said, and I don't have the reference here at hand to give you who said it, but he says, we say our prayers, but we haven't prayed. There's biblical biblical examples of the proper attitude before God, which I want to share with you tonight. The first one being Daniel. Daniel was a man who knew how to pray. There's no question about that. We're going to read, we're going to look at passage in Daniel chapter 9, which is his vision of the 70th week. Daniel knew how to pray, and he brought the blessings of heaven upon himself and upon his people. There's no question about that. 
And so in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, 4, 7, and 18, and I've got all these copied down, so if you'll just listen. He said, I, And I sent my face unto the Lord God. And that word set means I directed my face unto the Lord God. To seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And all that phrase, that last phrase speaks of true humility, which is the means for preparation of prayer and being in the right frame of mind. And then, they, then it's said there in the chapter 9 again, And I prayed unto the Lord God, I prayed unto, my, unto the Lord my God, and made my confession and said, and notice what he said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, this was the expression of his heart in worship, and he further says, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. You see, even in Daniel's prayer, he took his right place. As it says there in verse 4, and that is, O Lord, the great and dreadful God. Before he asked anything, he acknowledged who he was talking to. He acknowledged whose presence he was entering into. O Lord, the great and dreadful God. In a prayer seminar like this, at least it's been my experience, that by the time we get to this place, people are afraid to pray. <laughs> They're afraid to be called on to pray. But folks, when I make these remarks like I'm going to make here, it's not personal, of course. But just check yourself how often it is that you, that you prepare yourself in talking to God as you talk to Him. O oh Lord, the great and dreadful God. Because the case really is that we just jump into His presence and say, Lord, we need some things. We want you to do this and we want you to do that and will you do this and do that. We don't acknowledge who we're talking to. Another example is in Genesis 17.3. Abraham was on his face, prostrate before God when God spoke to him about the covenant promise. And the scripture, say, the scripture says there in chapter 17, verse 3, And Abraham fell on his face. Don't explain that away. Abraham fell on his face. And then it says, and God talked to him or talked with him. You see, the reason for Abraham's frustration was God's holiness and his own sinfulness. And he took his right place. Folks, God is holy, he's perfect, he's the God of the universe. And when Abraham understood that, he fell on his face. You see, he's holy, set apart. And because he's holy, people ought to adore him. You see, the unholy seldom, if ever, adore God. But I'm going to say this to you, that there's nothing that moves the sinner as much as a discourse on God's holiness. And nothing thrills the holy ones of God or Christians as discovering God in His glory and holiness. 
as I was reviewing these notes this afternoon, this happens every time I give you this lesson, my heart simply melted when I thought about what I was going to be saying and what I was reading in the Word of God. Abraham's example, David's example. In Isaiah chapter 6, you know the verses I'm going to, the first six verses. I want, you to, I want you to read this with me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, with twain covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts, and these are, these are speedy servants, the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. But notice verse 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am, uncle- for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, saying, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it up on my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sins purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. And then in verse 9, just three words. And he said, That is God. He said, let me review this with you. You see, he viewed God as the Holy One. He knew, when he said viewed, he knew he was in the presence of God. He knew God was speaking to him. And his reaction was that of rendering divine honor, as we read about in verse 5. But when he realized that he was in God's presence, he literally detested what he saw of himself. Folks, let me tell you, when we come to comprehend as best we can that we're in God's presence, we'll detest who we are and what we are, simply because God's a holy God. And you see Isaiah's attitude brought about obedience. God said, whom shall I send? He said, Lord, send me. And then God was able to say, as I read in verse 9, and he said. It was only after Isaiah came to the point of seeing who he was in the presence of God and who God was, that then God spoke to him. You see, we need a real sense, a real awareness of God's holiness. When we see His holiness, it's only then that we'll adore and magnify Him. That word see, as I, moment, as I said a moment ago, simply recognizes God's presence. And that's not a theological tenet. That means that He realized it. He didn't just know that God was present. He realized it. Well, there's another example of Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. This was the experience of the burning bush in the desert area. 
And this is what the scripture says. And when the Lord saw that he, that he turned aside to see, that is when he turned to, when Moses turned aside to see, God called upon him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I, here am I. And he said, draw not, draw it not high, hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereupon thou standest is holy ground. You see, God revealed himself as holy, as the Holy One. Moreover, and I'm still reading the scriptures here, moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And notice what happened. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. You see, the effect of divine presence is that man takes his rightful place. And then the mercy, then the, then the God of mercy can speak because it says in verse 7 of that same passage in Exodus chapter 3, and the Lord said. That's interesting. As I got to this, alluded to this several times Sunday in those lessons, Folks, I call upon you tonight to really try the best you can to comprehend that when you pray, you're in God's presence. You're in the holy God's presence. But I'd venture to say a lot of times <clears throat> when that happens, we'll become speechless. Well, we have another example in the New Testament. Peter was a fisherman. I relate to him. I'm not a fisherman, but I try to be. <laughs> this was the experience at Lake Gennesaret. You know the story without me reading it, where they, they'd put their boats up. They were washing, washing the nets, and the Lord said, why don't you cast your nets out there? Remember what Peter said? And I quote, he said, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. You know the rest of the story. They went out there. They let down the net. They didn't only get a net full. They got a net full so, so, so big, so many that broke the net. But I want you to notice this in chapter, in, in chapter 5, verse 10. When Peter saw it, and I'm quoting the scripture, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And again, I repeat, when, when man takes his rightful place, then God can speak. And because in verse 10 it says, And Jesus said unto Simon. But it was only after Simon realized who he was dealing with. You see, Peter was aware of who Jesus really was, deity. And this brought obedience, as we read there in the passage of verses 10 and 11. But I want you to note, again, I, re I review this with you, his attitude before this. His attitude before this is just like our attitude in so many times. He said, Lord, <laughs> we're talking about the Son of God, told him, said, cast your net out there. And this is what Peter's reply was. He said, 
We've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, he said, at thy word, I'll let the net down. Folks, that's that's defensive praying. Really is. Lord, I know what you want me to say. I know what you want me to do, and I've tried it, and and it doesn't work. But nevertheless, it's your word. I'll do it. What a pitiful thing that is. When God says do something, do it. When God says say something, say it. For we're talking about a holy God. We're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about the creator. We're talking about the sustainer of life. Well, there's another example. We couldn't leave Job out of this. In Job chapter 30, chapters 31 through 37, in those chapters, if you read them carefully, Job concludes that he's, includes, concludes along with his friends, that he's the holiest. He concludes that he has eyes for the blind, feet for the lame, provider for the hungry, the producer of garments for the naked. And this is my words, what a man he was. Folks, you know what? We have a problem with this too. Oh, yes. What a man I am. What a woman you are. But God spoke, but God spoke to Job in chapter 38, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? And he further says, Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I am going to demand of thee and answer thou me. And you read the 38th chapter as well as I have. Where were you when all this was happening? And you know question after question. Well, in the 40th chapter of Job, verses 1 through 5, and I've just picked several verses here, it says, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer him. Let him let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Get this, I'm vile. What shall I answer thee? In verse 5, he says, I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. He took his rightful place. But verse 6 tells us, Then answered the Lord unto Job and said. You see, he really became aware of God's holiness and not his own. He said, and this is Job speaking, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Folks, you know, you may say, well, Brother Zona, you're telling us we're rotten, we're, sin- we're worthless and all. Let me tell you, in God's presence, we're all worthless. Amen. In God's presence, we're all vile. In God's presence, we're all sinners. 
And when we pray, hopefully we will understand that we're in God's presence. I abhor myself. And there's other examples. The centurion that said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come as, that thou shouldest come under my roof. Jairus worshipped him as he made his request. The leper came kneeling down to him. The Seraphonician woman came and fell at his feet. The man full of leprosy, seeing Jesus, quote, seeing Jesus fell at his feet, uh, fell on his face. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, We beheld his glory, and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, Father full of grace and truth. But he says, what does that mean? We beheld his glory. You see, God's glory talks about the exhibition of God's attributes. John said, I've seen his all-powerfulness. I've seen his love. I've seen his mercy. I've seen his, I've seen his grace. And therefore, he said, I beheld his glory. Every time that you have a soul saved, whether it be in somebody's home in a restaurant or here at the church, you are witnessing the glory of God because you're seeing His compassion, you're seeing His love, you're seeing His power, you're seeing His mercy, you're seeing His grace. It's all at work in the salvation of a lost soul. So no matter how close John was to Jesus, he reverenced Him as much as he communed. And folks, if there's something to remember, remember that. We need to reverence God as much as we commune with Him. My conclusion at this point in the lesson tonight is stated clearly in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. The man of wisdom said this, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools be more ready to hear than to talk for they consider not that they do evil be not rash with thy mouth let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter, utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. I wonder sometimes when I pray that God isn't saying to me, Hey, I heard you the first time. <laughs> you see... We need to be brought into contact with God. And this is through prayer. Every time that you and I pray, we are in contact with the Holy God. We need to be aware. We need a new awareness of a Holy God so that He can, re re so that he can reveal Himself to us. You see, we need to take our place before him as men of old in some of the examples that I gave. And folks, let me put this in right here. We're seeing today irreverence to a height that I've never, that I've never viewed before. 
irreverence. And it isn't out there on the street. It isn't out there just in the bars and all that. Sometimes it's in the house of God. I was in a bookstore several years ago, a couple of years now, and I, I was looking through some books and there was a child section there and I just glanced at it. There was a book, a study book there and the title of it, guess what it was? Hey God, let's pray. I'm going to tell you folks, that's irreverent. I didn't look at the book. It might have been a good book inside, but the title was no good. Hey, God, let's pray. A children's book. Is it any wonder that in the model prayer that Jesus gave them in chapter 11 of Luke, he said, hallowed be thy name. Oh, folks, when we pray, we are entering into the presence of the Almighty God. And we can conclude with what Paul said in Hebrews that I read earlier. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And I thought it was necessary in this study to just give you the definition of reverence and fear and, and the, consume, the words consuming fire. Reverence means caution, circumspection, discretion, pious love. Said so enter in with godly, with reverence and fear, godly fear. And fear means a timid, timid apprehension of danger, having a wholesome regard for a holy God his standards, and his requirements. And the term there, consuming fire, comes from a phrase in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, when fire and smoke which showed God's presence at Sinai. These were symbols of God's consuming holiness that destroys all persistence and inexcusable evil. Folks, brothers and sisters in Christ, how seldom do we take our rightful place before the Holy God? I don't know you. I'm not speaking about an individual here tonight. I'm relating to more to myself than anybody else. How seldom do we take our rightful place before a Holy God? I wonder, could our dislike for true humility before a Holy God prevent us from praying rightly and from hearing Him as he answers us. You see, adoring the Almighty and Holy God is sorely needed today among his people. I think you'd agree with me there. If we, if we believe that we move into, his, into the presence of our Holy God when we pray, shouldn't all of our activities cease? You know, I've been in church services where the service was just interrupted all the way through. Kids going to the bathrooms. Adults going to the bathroom. Cell phones going off. I know one went off the other night. I don't know who it was, so I'm not talking to you. <laughs> but I believe that when we pray and we get in the presence of the Holy God, all activity should stop. The difference between you sitting here through two sessions 
is different than I'm used to because I'm used to teaching two and three at a time every day. <clears throat> but I never have a class this big. I should say this large. That big didn't sound good, did it? <laughs> I don't think you can see me from here down, can you? I made a mistake the other day. There was this one of our student young ladies, as a student that I have, and they were talking with several other ladies, and the pastor was there as well. And I don't really like to say things like this, but I did anyway. And she had... But just entering into the conversation, she said, you know, I said, I weighed the other day and I weighed 125 pounds. And I don't know what made me say this, but I said, was that from the waist down? <laughs> oh, our librarian was there. She said, Brother Zellner, there are just some things that you don't say. <laughs> Sounded just like Leanda Lopez. <laughs> Well, we're going to shift gears now, and we're going to talk about the right spirit before God, which is adoration. In Malachi chapter 1, in verses 6 through 9, God is talking to Israel through Malachi, and I'm going to begin in verse 6. He said, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priests that despise my name, and you say, Wherein have we despised thy name? You offer polluted bread unto mine altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you would offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? And then he said, Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? I'm not going to speak on that passage of Scripture, but it relates to the right spirit that we're, that we're talking about tonight. In Genesis 17 and verses 1 through 3, this is what we find. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before me and be thou perfect. 